0: Well, my name's Adrian. I'm the lead pastor here at Carnegie Free. If we haven't yet met, I'd love to connect with you after church today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 15 in just a moment today as uh, we continue in our series on the God that Jesus revealed, understanding a bit more of the God that Jesus revealed. As we've been talking here these past weeks, Jesus said that I am revealing to you the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And today we're going to talk about this reality that God has x ray vision. Spiritual health is not about what anyone sees, it's about what lies beneath. It's not about what anyone else sees, it's about what lies beneath the skin. Who were Jesus' greatest adversaries during his earthly ministry? Would you shout it out? Who were they? The Pharisees, I heard a number of people say. That's right. The Pharisees were his greatest adversaries during his earthly ministry. And the primary reason for that is Jesus calls them hypocrites. I don't know about you, but if someone calls me hypocrites, that's fighting words. I mean, let's get it on now if you're going to call me that. In 2016, that would be one of the greatest insults to call someone a hypocrite. And indeed, this is the most frequent complaint of people outside the church toward those inside the church, is it not? They are hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite in the Greco-Roman world was an actor. That's all the word meant. He or she is an actor. It's someone who put on a costume or clothed himself in a certain mask and they uh, got on stage and they performed. So we have a volunteer-led ministry here called Family Experience, again under Pastor Kent and a bunch of volunteers will get up on the stage on the first Wednesday of each month First Wednesday in October, a number of actors will be on the stage, and they'll be performing for our kids and for our families, and it's an amazing ministry. If you have kids, I really encourage you to come to it. If you know kids in your neighborhood, I encourage you to invite them to it. It's a fantastic blessing for parents and for kids, for families. But, but one of the things that they do is they act out a bunch of skits at this FX program. And so if we were living in the Greco-Roman world, we would say, oh, there's Drake, He's a hypocrite. He's acting on stage. He is playing the part today on stage of Hercules, but that's really Drake. Or, oh, there's Patrice. Patrice is playing the part of Athena on stage today. She's a hypocrite. Now, they didn't mean it the same way as we did. They're saying she's playing the part of Athena, but that's really Patrice. She's an actor. He's an actor. Do do you see? That's what it meant to be a hypocrite. Now, transferring that to the contemporary usage of the word word, to call someone a hypocrite is is much more than saying, uh, there's a person who wants to do what is right, but they have stumbled. They made a mistake. They were late for appointment. They they missed an appointment. No, that's making a mistake. That's falling into even a sin, which all of us do. And, And we say, I'm sorry for that but you make a mistake and you apologize for it, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. What makes you a hypocrite, Jesus would say, is performing, acting the part of being really into God, acting the part of really caring about people, but having no underlying love for God or people in your heart, acting the part of showing that you care, when in fact you really just care about yourself, you are performing. Have you known any hypocrites? Have you ever been a hypocrite? Jesus reserves some really choice words for them. Matthew chapter 15 verses 1 through 20 speak to those who would have a plastic veneer on top of particle board. And he says, I see your heart. I see the particle board underneath that fake plastic veneer. Starting at verse 1 of Matthew 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, I have devoted that to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. When he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the mere commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he said, Yeah, I know. That's on purpose. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? He gives a little biology lesson for him. But what comes out of the mouth, that's what proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, and murder, and adultery, and sexual immorality, and theft. And false witness and slander and many other things, and these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, why is Jesus so hard on these guys? I mean, they are like the uh, religion PhDs, they're the theology PhDs or the senior pastors. And he calls them here hypocrites and blind guides. And other places, it's even worse. He calls them like whitewashed tombs and wolves in sheep's clothing. These are intense words that he reserves for these teachers. So I ask again, why is he so hard on the Pharisees? There are at least two reasons given in this very passage, and he quotes the first from Isaiah 29. This was a frequent statement in the Old Testament, and it goes to the heart of what we're talking about in the series. This is the God whom Jesus revealed. Jesus is only revealing what has already been stated by God the Father. So here he is quoting from Isaiah chapter 29. He says, these people honor me with their lips. They speak of me, but I know their hearts, and their hearts are very far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. They've come up with all these commandments, all these doctrines, but I'm telling you, they're just rules taught by men, and so I want to tell you that their worship is in vain, he says. The first reason, though, that he gives here for why he's so upset with hypocrites, and this isn't on your outline, but I encourage you to take note of it, is that their words, their rules do not match their hearts. He gets upset about hypocrites because their words do not match their hearts. Their rules don't match their hearts. They give the appearance of zeal for God, but they got no real love for people. here's the context. News of Jesus' ministry is traveling from the north of Israel, which was Galilee, way down south into the center of Israel, which is Jerusalem, And people are hearing about this great miracle worker and this great teacher. And so from Jerusalem, they send a delegation of leaders to go up to Galilee and to observe Jesus and perhaps to catch him in his teaching, or perhaps to catch his disciples in doing the wrong thing. And so this delegation of Pharisees, these religious teachers, come up from Jerusalem, and as they're watching the disciples, they catch them disobeying the commandments of their elders. And in this case, the commandment was this thorough tradition of washing hands before eating. And not just washing hands, but washing feet and furniture and all the cups and all the pitchers in this elaborate ritual. And perhaps it would be something like this, son, get into the bathroom and wash with soap and warm water, do the ABCs all the way to Z. And do not come out till your hands are clean. Something like that. A mother's dream, right? Come on, come on. Moms, come on. You can laugh. It's a mother's dream. This idea of cleanliness is next to godliness. But is it really? Is cleanliness really next to godliness? And are these silly traditions that they have made, are they really a substitute? Are they a means toward godliness? And and it's really interesting in this, this passage, Jesus doesn't even answer the question. They ask this question about the tradition of the elders and washing hands, and he doesn't even answer their question. Instead, he goes deeper to the heart of what they are missing, and he talks about their other religious traditions, and one of their other religious traditions was they're making these vows, that they would put one vow on top of another vow, and they would say, because I have made this vow to God, I cannot honor my mother and father. So they skip out on one of the top ten commandments of God because they're making these vows to God saying, this thing, this ring I have, this necklace I have, it belongs to God, and therefore when my parents get sick, well, I can't sell this ring to help out my sick parents because I've already devoted that to God. It would be like us saying, yeah, mom and dad need to go to the nursing home, but I've devoted my 401k to God. God. And so I can't drain any of that 401k to help mom and dad because that belongs to God, I mean self. Okay, that's what they're doing. And so Jesus catches them in the midst of this hypocrisy and he says, what a religious act. What a bunch of baloney. Stop acting. You act spiritual with your focus on hand washing but you don't even have mercy for your own mama. Who are you? That's what he's saying to them. Okay, so first thing, their words, their laws do not match their hearts. And second, he's really upset with hypocrites because the religious performances end up actually leading people astray. The religious performances end up actually leading people astray. You see, if religion is a matter of externals as opposed to a matter of the heart, it achieves nothing. In fact, in some ways, you'd have to say it achieves worse than nothing. Because what it does is it leads both the teacher into the pit and all those who are following that teacher into the pit of focusing only on the outside of the cup and neglecting the weightier matters of the law and the weightier matters of the heart. That pit that it inevitably leads people into is called legalism. Have you ever been in that pit? Would you just do a little, little informal poll with me and tell me by raising your hand, have you ever been in the pit of legalism, be it from your family or your church or maybe something that you've just falsely inscribed from the Bible? A lot of hands raised right now. There are a lot of people that have been in this very corrosive pit called legalism. And what Jesus says about this pit is simply if the blind lead the blind, both of them will fall into this pit. If you focus only on behaviors, you're both going to fall into this pit. And the pit is so corrosive, it looks like this. It's the pit of comparing the greatness of my Bible reading and prayer to the smallness of yours. You ever been there? Or it's the pit of comparing, I read the right Bible, you read the wrong translation of the Bible. The pit of Comparing how generous I am to how you're not so generous. To looking at all the good things that I do and showing them off such that other people would give me a little pat on the back. It's the pit of shouting, where the Bible is actually silent. You know people who do that? They speak about rules and restrictions that are not actually in the Bible. They add extra restrictions to the Bible, and I just want to warn you that adding extra restrictions to the Bible is every bit as dangerous as subtracting restrictions from the Bible. When you subtract from the Word of God or you add to the Word of God, either way, it is equally as dangerous. No, we don't do those things. It's the pit of believing that we can somehow win God's approval by how often we go to church or win God's approval by how much we fast or win God's approval by how much we volunteer. And none of that is accurate. What we do in Christianity is we receive God's approval right where we are. With all of our mess, we receive God's approval, we receive His love, we receive His forgiveness. And then we go to church out of God's approval, that we would learn more about Him. We begin to fast, but because we, we hunger for God, we long to know more of God. We would volunteer, but because we want to give of His goodness that He has given to us. We want to give it to others. We live from God's approval, not for God's approval. Do you understand the difference? Living for God's approval, living for the approval of other people will inevitably lead to the pit called legalism. Now, whatever background you've come from, be it evangelical free, or Baptist, or charismatic, or fundamentalist, or Catholic, or Lutheran, or no church background at all, whatever background you have come from, I want you to know that at this church we are not going to major on the minors. At this church, we say in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. In this church, we are going to love through our differences. In this church, we're not going to add to the restrictions of the Bible because we might like some extra rules. In this church, we say no to legalism and yes to the heart. Authenticity and integrity is what we are after here. Now write this down. Religious pretense hinders our spiritual progress. Religious pretending hinders our spiritual progress. Religious pride is so dark because it uses the presentation of devotion to prop oneself up and thereby put others down. And it falsely believes that we can somehow win God's approval by the things that we do or the things that we don't do. And once again, we gain God's approval not by anything we do, but on the basis of what Christ has done. Human religion is always do, 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 do. Do, do all over you. That's human religion. Christ's invitation is done. I do it for you. I give you my life. And there's nothing that you can add to it. You simply receive all that I have given To you and you live out of that. And again, the problem with religious pretense is it hinders our spiritual progress, but because it makes us believe that we can gain extra approval by what we do. Have you ever asked yourself this question? What is going on in my life that actually hinders my spiritual progress? I ask myself that question on a regular basis. Because I want to seriously do inventory. Sometimes at the end of the day, sometimes at the end of the week. What am I missing? What am I failing to do and thereby missing some of the love of God, thereby missing some of what God has for me? Or what am I indulging in that is preventing me from all that God would have for me? And I can think of at least two ways that we hinder the advance of God into our lives. One way is by consistently indulging in what God has prohibited us from indulging. And so we say, I know I shouldn't get into this, but I keep getting into this. We talked about this, well, with the seven deadly sins, and, and we recognize that we shouldn't keep giving ourselves to, to this behavior, but we do, and when you do that, that hinders the advance of God into your life, and some of us kind of just wink at that. I remember a journal entry from St. Augustine, well, when he said, uh, give me chastity, Lord, just not yet, and some of us live that way. We, we say, uh, give me purity in this area, just not yet. I want to have one foot in the world. And one foot in the Lord. And it doesn't work that way. That hinders your spiritual progress. Now, another thing that we can do, though, to hinder our spiritual progress is constantly act, constantly focus on the outside of the cup, focus on the branches as opposed to focusing on the roots. And when we do that, we actually hinder the advance of Christ into our lives because what he is focused on is the heart. He's focused on the heart. And he says this explicitly in this passage and many other places. You look at verse 11. It says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles a person. It's what comes out of the heart and then out of the mouth. That's what defiles a person. Or how about this one from Matthew chapter 12? It says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Would you say that with me? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when I'm speaking gossip, there's something going on right here. When we slander someone else, there's something going on right here. When we get into judging other people based on how they look, or how they sin a little bit differently than we do. There's something going on right here. It's not so much about the branches, about what is seen on the outside. It's about reforming the inside, and then the outside will take care of itself. Jesus sees right past the Pharisees' perfect suits, right past their Bibles, right past their skin-deep religious activities and he sees into their hearts. God is like an x-ray machine. He's like an MRI. He doesn't look at the skin. He's not so much about skin deep. He doesn't care so much about race the way we all care about race. He doesn't care so much about uh, tattoos or outside behavior. He cares about the heart. He's like an MRI machine that is going deep and wants to know, well, what's going on in here? He starts right there, and then he reforms from the inside out. Now, I just ask you if um, if Jesus sees it all, if God the Father sees it all, wouldn't it be wise for us to admit to God what is really going on inside? And wouldn't it be wise for us to admit to a couple others what is really going on inside? Instead, what we are want to do is to pretend what's going on inside, and never show anyone the trash that is inside. We reserve that, or maybe I say, brother, you can take a quick peek. No, that's enough. Don't look too much now. You can take a quick look, but don't look too closely. Because we have this expectation of ourselves and others that we have it all together, and therefore no one can see what's really going on in there. But the truth is we actually are liberated when we pray ourselves the very words that we read here this morning from Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And I pray that. See if there's any offensive way in me. God, would you show me what's wrong with me? Would you show me what's not right in my heart? And then would you lead me in the way everlasting? How liberating it is for us to be able to pray that to God and then to be able to say to one or two trusted friends, can I tell you what I found? as I ask God to search me and know me and reveal what is offensive within me? And would you be willing to help me out with this? Unfortunately, we've been trained by our culture to only present the outside. And I've done that myself. Many occasions across the years, I've certainly been trained to only present the outside. My parents trained me that way, just like your parents did. And so I stand up here as a pastor today and I tell you, hey, look at me. I got no tattoos or piercings. Look how good I look on the outside, huh? Can I get your approval, please? And then I say, oh, look at me. I got really obedient kids, especially when you all are watching. Do you notice how much I have it together on the outside? Look at me, I got all the right degrees to be doing what I'm doing, and I can show you them, and I can tell you about my really good grades. Do you see how much I have it together on the outside? And just for the awesome youth group that we have here, the middle schoolers and high schoolers, I got just the right phone. I'm a cool kid, too, and I can show it off, too, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and text messaging, and I can text with the best of them. And I'm really, really generous, especially when other people are taking photographs of me. Did you notice the outside? And I got my daily quiet time, and I'm sure never to miss it, especially when anyone asks me if I keep my daily quiet time. And you focus on all this stuff on the outside, and the danger is if you focus on all that stuff on the outside in this presentation, you might actually begin to believe that C-R-A-P and not expose anyone to the reality of what's actually going on. And as we do that, we blind ourselves and we fall into that pit called legalism. And as we do that, we miss out on the gospel entirely. For Jesus says it's actually a heart issue. It's not about the branches. It's about the roots. Now, the upshot of all of this is if you come in to see me sometime and you say, i got all these problems. My life is falling apart. I will listen to all your problems but I really won't talk to you about all those problems. I'll talk to you about the heart. How are you doing with Christ? How's your devotional life? What what are we doing to maintain a close connection with Christ? Because if you get that right, then the other things will take care of themselves. Again, it's not that he doesn't care about the branches. It's that he focuses on the roots because the root is the root of the problem. We focus there. And then the result you'll want to write down here, Jesus transforms us from the inside out. This is the way of Christ. He offers the free gift of His grace. Then we lean into His grace on a day-in and day-out basis, and then He sanctifies us. He makes us to become more and more like Him, makes us to become more and more holy, growing in His goodness, not by the good things that we do, but by what He does. And then out of the overflow of the heart, Our behaviors are changed. Our speech is changed. We can just never resolve our sin by working harder on it. We can't do it. We've all tried that. I've pulled myself up by my moral bootstraps so many times trying to resolve my sins of impatience and judgmentalism and control and anger and whatever else by working hard on it, and it doesn't work. But as I've submitted those to God, And as I've brought other people into community, asking them for help and asking them for prayer, and I've fallen on my knees asking God for prayer over those things day in and day out, I see He changes me. Here's the thing. If you admit your sin, people are not going to be mad at you for that. What they're mad at is you sin, but then you hide it. People outside the church lob the grenade of hypocrisy against those inside the church, not because we sin, but because sometimes we sin and we pretend we don't. And isn't it interesting that the very thing people outside the church hate the most is also the thing that Jesus preached against the most? Hypocrisy. Instead, when we admit that we've done wrong, we apologize, we seek to correct it, people will say, That's an authentic person. That's a person of integrity. That person is different. What is going on in them? Hypocrisy is not sinning. Hypocrisy is sinning and pretending, though, that you don't. And Jesus stands against it. So let me just close here with a few possible takeaways. A few how-tos for growing a more pure heart and putting away hypocrisy. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you to show one or two friends the inside of your trash can. Just one or two. Not five or ten. Not everyone in this room. Probably not even your whole life group just yet. But show one or two of your friends the inside of your trash can. Because the truth is, they can't love a fake you. They need to love the real you, warts and all. And as we are transparent with a couple other people about what's really going on, then we give opportunity to grow together in Christ. Not a ton of people. That wouldn't be healthy. One or two people. And then second, give up judging books by their covers. Is this stepping on anyone else's toes? It feels like it is. It's kind of quiet in here. It's stepping on my toes. But what a joy to be able to leave all judgment to God. How totally liberating it is to be able to lead with mercy, not to judge other people. And here's the deal. We almost always get it wrong when we judge a book by its cover. We almost always get it wrong when we judge people based on their outer behaviors or what they look like or what their race is or anything like that which is happening so much in our world right now, we almost always get it wrong. But when we choose to focus on the heart and then leave those people to God, then we actually gain influence with people. If you focus on the outside, you lose influence. When you judge quickly, you lose influence. You focus on the heart, you gain influence. Finally, number three, perhaps most importantly, ask God to clean out one piece of trash, and then replace it with the opposite. In my limited experience, if I ask God to clean out all five or six pieces of trash in here, or seven or eight or ten or a hundred, and there are a lot in here, uh, I just get overwhelmed really quickly, and I feel hopeless in terms of change. But if I ask God to focus on one, God, would you please help me with my impatience, and would you... Trade that out with patience. And each and every day I fall to my knees and I ask for your help. Or God, I might struggle with control. Would you change that out to humility? The opposite. God, I struggle with judgmentalism. Would you please change that out with mercy? God, I I struggle with lust. Would you please change that out with, with loving people as they are, made in the image of God rather than objectifying them? Whatever it might be, you identify that one and you pray for the opposite. And you do so day after day after day, falling on your knees, asking for God's help, being honest with what's really going on in here, and we call upon a God who loves to come to us and help us. We call upon a God who loves to transform us from the inside out, such that out of the overflow of the heart would speak blessings rather than cursings, good news rather than bad news, love rather than hate you want that? I want that. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, uh, we admit to you that we got lots of stuff inside that we are ashamed of. We got lots of stuff inside that is not right, and we really need your help on it. And it's easy, particularly in such a beautiful town as ours, where so many people do seem to have it all together, to focus only on the externals. And uh, God, we ask that you would save us from that. Lord, make us different in the inside. We invite you in, Lord Jesus, to correct us where we need correction, to challenge us where we need correction challenging to convict us where we need to be convicted Father I feel so convicted even in giving this message today and I'm sure that there are many in this room who do as well and so we confess our failures to you just taking a moment of silence right now we would admit to you Lord that we have failed you in many ways we have failed our neighbors in many ways we have held our neighbors to a standard that we don't even hold ourselves to and we admit that to you. Father, I pray in this church we would show grace to one another, that we would major on the majors. We do not wish to add anything to your inspired word, nor do we wish to subtract anything from it. Instead, we wish to obey to admit when we fail it and keep coming back to you. I ask, Lord, for all of my friends that you would search us, O God, that you would indeed know our hearts, that you would test us and know our anxious thoughts, you would see whatever is offensive in us, and you'd lead us a bit more in your way everlasting.